0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the election because it is on and yet some very interesting numbers right off the bat. I mean, these will be what we come back to and look at in a month when this election is over. But right off the bat, very interesting numbers in some Nanos polling that's being done. Nick Nanos from Nanos polling is going to join us to talk about those. Then we're going to talk about the, again, a, a sort of an intro to what the local campaigns are all about and who is running around here betting you don't know most of the names well what will that mean to the campaign that you don't know who many of these people are we're going to talk about that and then don robertson joins us we're going to talk about the honus wagner baseball card and childhood heroes and parents and kids and kids trying to imitate their parents in sports lots of stuff we're all over the map today stick around
1: today on the scott radley show on 900 chml
0: the election the federal election is now give or take 36 hours old. Can we declare a winner yet? No? Well, okay. We got to press on then. Uh, Can we get a sense of where things might be heading? Well, yes, that we can do. Thanks to people like my next guest. Nick Nanos is the chief data scientist at Nanos Nanos Research Research, also the founder of that. He joins us now. Nick, how are you tonight? Thanks for joining us.
2: It's great to be with you and your
0: listeners. Uh, You were doing some polling late last week. Now, I know it was before the election was called, but everybody knew the election was going to be called. So people were sort of in that frame of mind. It wasn't, I don't think times were that different, even though it was beforehand. So I think your numbers are probably pretty good as far as looking forward, even though it predated the election. And you, we were wondering, I mean, this election seems to be almost entirely about Justin Trudeau trying to win a majority. Do the numbers show that he is trending that way?
2: No, not right now. And, you know, what? The, in the latest nano survey that we just completed just before the election was called, it suggests that the Liberals are at 33% nationally, followed by the Conservatives at 28, NDP 21, Green Party at 8. But what's interesting, Scott, is that the Liberals in the last four weeks have dropped 6 percentage points, and the Conservatives are up 5. And when it's the two front-running parties, what is a romp one day when you see a swing like this becomes more of a race, uh... When you see the numbers move like this, because the liberals were at one point had a double digit lead and now they're only five points ahead. So it's mighty. Maybe it'll be like uh, Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. You remember when he wakes up every day and it's the same thing? <laughs> yes, this election might be like that. It could be a liberal minority government, at least if the election were held today, we're looking at a liberal minority.
0: But when you say a race, there's two ways to interpret what you mean by that. One is it's a race towards majority, but they may not get there. The other interpretation, and I'm not sure which one you mean, is that there's a chance they could lose. Is, is, which one of those do you mean?
2: Well, actually, I think there's a there is a chance that they could lose because the thing is is that, you know, for the liberals, right now the focus is on them. And in my experience, whoever the focuses of the campaign loses. Like in the last federal campaign, the focus was on both. Andrew Scheer and Justin Trudeau, I consider them both losers. Not I don't mean in generally, but just in terms sure. numerically in the last election and you know the previous election before that the focus was on Stephen Harper, you know, and his his tired conservative government and before that we had Michael Ignatieff. You just keep going back uh you know Steph and Dion. So right now the focus is on the Liberals and why they called the election. That's why the Liberals if they want to win, need to pivot off of that, because it's the trajectory that counts, especially in a super short campaign. Like, this, is, this is like a snap election call. The de- there will only be two debates. And uh, if there's an upside, you know, August 20th is Friday. September 20th will be Election Day. So it'll be upon us pretty quick.
0: You made a reference to something that you call a recoil effect, which yeah. may be part of what we're talking about here, why the numbers are closing. What is the recoil effect?
2: Well, the recoil effect has to do with, uh, you know, where the Liberals were in terms of having a double-digit lead over the Conservatives and cruising to what looked like at that time was a majority advantage or, or potential win. And, then, and people thinking knowing that there was going to be an election... Kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know. It's wah 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 election, <laughs> and then and then like the last two weeks is kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher is now like clearly enunciating that there will be a federal election because people see all the signals, and then people are kind of recoiling from that, thinking, you know, they're satisfied with the Liberals in terms of their response to the pandemic. They're very quick to get stimulus out there. Canada's vaccination campaign is among the top vaccination campaigns in the world and now you want you want an election now you know where's the crisis where's the urgency so and you know that recoil is among you know think of it this way from a percentage perspective you know that swing is one out of 20 voters right moving from the liberal column mm, into the yeah. conservative column so we're not talking about you know pitchforks at 24 sussex we're just talking about like one out of every 20 voters going hey come on we don't need an election right now I think uh, maybe I'll park with the Conservatives and perhaps stick with the Conservatives during the campaign.
0: And, you know, and I'm wondering if that, what you just said about how you have to move the topic, move the point off, why are we having an election? If there is nothing that emerges in this campaign that really stands out, why we're having this election may be the thing that people wonder about, and then they become
2: sour. Okay, so now you're saying we're going to have a Seinfeld election, an election (laughs) about nothing? Well, are we? It sounds like we are. That's a $500 million endeavor.
0: That's, and see, that that's one thing. Now, I don't know if O'Toole today made that comment, but if if he hasn't, I don't know why that's not one of the biggest things that he's saying. We're way in debt. We're way in deficit. Now we're going to spend half a billion on what? That, that to me, would be a, a point that would stick.
2: And I think that's why, Scott, if uh, if for any of your listeners that had a chance to listen to all of the federal party leaders Uh, When the election was called, the questions for Justin Trudeau, a couple of them were, are you going to resign if you don't win a majority? We haven't heard that one before, Uh, but it's kind of like you're going to force a candidate to have an election. Okay, Uh, but if we go through this whole thing and it's a minority, um, you know, there's some people that are going to be very upset.
0: One more thing before I let you go, because I know you got to run, and I really appreciate the time. Um, Would I be concerned with what the way your numbers are showing if I am a capital L liberal that some of these small L liberals this time might decide? Last time, they seemed to vacate the NDP and the Greens because they wanted to make sure. Would I be concerned that a few of those 1 in 20 might not go to the conservatives, but would go to the other small L liberal parties, which would basically have the same effect of keeping you in minority or losing?
2: Absolutely. You know, if the the conservatives, let's say they stay steady at 28 percent, they can't win the election. And I think what the issue could be is that the the liberals who kind of fear mongered in the past among progressive voters to block Stephen Harper and to block Andrew Scheer, uh, that those conservative, that those progressive minded voters, if they know that the conservatives can't win the election, might go for, you know, Jagmeet Singh. And, you know, his vision for the country and and that we end up having almost like a quasi three way race uh, Mm. in the election with the liberals still winning the greatest number of seats, but uh, with the new Democrats being very competitive.
0: Yeah, and then guess what? You and I will be talking about this again in another six months when we have another election to come up with because of a confidence vote. Don't
2: tell my
1: anyway. wife that, okay? Don't tell my wife that.
0: <laughs> Nick Nanos from Nanos Research. Really appreciate <laughs> the time. Thanks for doing this today.
1: Take it easy. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Larry DeAnne, is a former mayor of the city of Hamilton. He's a political analyst now, a guy who knows his way around this city's politics as well as anyone. He joins me now, Larry. How are you tonight? I'm very well, Scott, and
3: thank you for saying that. I've been able to fool you. I'm not sure if I can fool anybody else off.
0: Well, I, before we get to that, I do think that, you know, when you're doing your show on Cable 14 or any any appearances anywhere, that should now be the song they play you And You know, we've got Hail to the Chief for the President. You need Elvis with Big <laughs> Boss Man coming in.
3: <laughs> well, I'll, I'll
0: second that motion, I guess. <laughs> um, this is, um, this, Hamilton is one of the interesting spots in the federal election this time um, because we have three of our ridings without an incumbent, which I can't remember the last time that was the case. Um, and I'm wondering what this means. I mean, I suppose it means new names and new faces, but when you've got a short election and you've got a lot of people that nobody really know very well, what does this mean?
3: Well, it, it's going to be exciting for sure, because we're going to have three new faces at the federal scene, and in least. fact, and in fact, because one of our city councillors is running in one of the writings, it'll have an echo effect. If indeed uh, he, uh, Chad Collins, happens to be successful, um, then there's going to be a new face um, at the local council table as well. So there's an echo effect there and there are some repercussions Um not only at the federal scene, but the, at the local scene as well. But what it means is that, um, you know, there is there is an advantage to incumbency. Let, let's face it, um, you know, people uh, get elected and sometimes the name recognition that they get by virtue of that, as well as the job that they do. Uh, will, means that they get re- elected again. And so the fact that we've had three, uh, individuals who've been in, 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 uh, in federal public service now for many, many years, the fact that they've, uh, eliminated themselves by virtue of, of deciding not to run again means that, uh, you know, uh, fresh faces, uh, fresh ideas will, uh, will abound. And, uh, it really also means that, um, Uh, Other than Chad Collins, who doesn't have who who has some recognition uh, and perhaps Lisa Hepner, who, because of her television appearance, has some name recognition, the others will not. And so anybody really can win.
0: Well, let's uh, there's a whole lot that you just talked about there. Let, Let me talk about the name recognition for just a second, because. We know that in municipal politics, name recognition is enormous. I mean, it is it is gigantic because there's not a party that is listed beside your name. It is you that's running. Right. This is a little bit different, but yes, Chad Collins absolutely is going to have some name recognition. Uh Vito Scro, who's running in Flamborough-Glanbrook for the Liberals, he he will have some name recognition after running for mayor last time. Right. And then there's Lisa Hefner who you know, I, like I consider Lisa a friend. I, I like Lisa. I don't know how much name recognition there is there. There's going to be some, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that Lisa is a massive celebrity in the city, but people are going to know her, as you say, from television. Yeah. But but in a provincial or federal election, what, what value, be, because the party seems to be the thing people are voting on, what value does name recognition no. really have?
3: Well, and, and that's a great question because... Um, for federal elections and provincial uh, as well, uh, although not to as much of an extent. Um, the, the the way it works is this, that people vote for the leader uh, first, they vote for the party second, and then they vote for the local candidate. And if the candidate, um, and, and what they say is that the candidate uh, brings about a five percent uh, to that to that ratio, a five percent um, equation to that ratio, um, and so the majority of people will say, "I like that leader," and and therefore I'm voting for him, or I like that party, uh, and then uh, it comes the the candidate, him or herself, and if it's a well-known candidate, that five percent bumps up to maybe. 10% at the top end if it's a celebrity candidate, but no more than that. The vast majority of people will vote for the leader first and then the party. And let me tell you why it's the leader first and not the party. Uh, because when Stefan Dion ran, I ran in that election, and before people got to know Stefan Dion, we had our polls were showing and I was getting receptions at the door that were very positive. And then when Stefan Dion came on the scene, people looked at him said, oh, no. And I'm talking about people who were inclined to vote liberal, looked at him and said, oh, no, I'm not voting for this guy. And you go to the door and try to convince people that you're really voting for me, you're not voting, you're voting for the party, you're voting for the platform. People had formed all of their opi- opinion based on the leader, and uh, he was not a leader that people wanted to vote for. So that that is the harsh reality. Even if you're a well-known candidate, um, your uh, coattails will uh, either fall or not, uh, depending on what the leader in the
1: party does. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: I'm willing to bet that most of you have no idea who's even running in your riding. Here's the Hamilton ridings and who's running. Flamborough, Glanbrook, the... Incumbent is David Sweet. He's not running again. Vito Scro for the Liberals. Dan My- Muse for the Conservatives. Lorne Newick for the NDP. Martin Smith Green. Hamilton Centre. Matthew Green is the incumbent. Margaret Bennett for the Liberals. Fabian Grenning for Conservatives. Uh, Hamilton East, Stony Creek. Bob Bertina, the incumbent, not running. Chad Collins for the Liberals. Ned Curick for the Conservatives. Uh, Nick Milanovic for the NDP, Hamilton Mountain, Scott Duvall, not running, incumbent, either either Lisa Hefner or Bruno Bruno Urgenti, they're deciding that apparently tonight for the Liberals, Al Miles for the Conservatives, Malcolm Allen, NDP, and Hamilton West, Ancaster, Dundas, Philomena Tassi, the incumbent, she's running again, Bert Laranjo for the Conservatives, Roberto Enriquez for the NDP, Victoria Galea for the Green Party. Larry DeAnne, bring the mayor, the former mayor back in, now a political analyst and watcher in this city. Uh, Larry, as I say, I'm willing to bet that many of those names people don't know anything about, which would suggest that if you're on top of things and you're interested, you're going to go out and search and find out what they stand for. But I'm I'm not positive that, I mean, people are busy. They got other things going on. This is a snap election. I'm not sure people are going to make that effort. I think this is going to be, as you say, just a vote completely on party in a lot of these cases. Don't even care who's running.
3: Well, and 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 of course, um, um, I, I, you know, I assumed that uh, Lisa would be the candidate uh, up on the mountain. And of course, as you pointed out, there is a, uh, a nomination tonight. And Bruno Genti, who's a friend of mine, will be very cross with me for making that assumption <laughs> because he's in it as well. And so we'll find that out. But you're right. Uh, This is, um, uh, you know, this is a a quick election, 36 uh, days, uh, which is the shortest you can have. Add to that the fact that it's during the COVID period where you don't have the usual, uh, you know, campaign office launches. You don't have the financial uh, uh, parties that uh, candidates have where they gather people to raise some funds. You don't have the rallies that you typically do as well. So, it's going to be a media-driven campaign. The message is going to be delivered by the central parties themselves and the performance of the leaders and what the news reports say about those leaders and then that that filters down to the local level. And at the local level, I know that the candidates will be knocking on doors, but Believe me, they will not be able to get to every single door during this period of time. They'll probably drop off some brochures or have them mailed to people. They may do some uh, media advertising in the local paper or maybe radio, Uh, but they are going to rely very, very heavily, A, on their name recognition, but the fortunes of the leader and the party and how they're presented in the general campaign itself. And that's going to determine how people vote, I, I suspect.
0: And I don't want to be too, too cynical, but I'll tell you, I, I'm not even sure that this campaign is going to change anything. I really believe, Larry, that right now, the vast, vast, vast majority of people already know who they're going to vote for. There, and nothing that happens, and I, I wouldn't have always said this, but last campaign or just before the last campaign, when those pictures of Justin Trudeau with blackface came out, I thought, oh man, that, that's that's a death knell, and it did nothing. And I, and I look no. and I, go, I I'm not sure that anything that happens in this campaign is going to change anything.
3: Well, it, it, here's what might change. It, it, let me agree with you that I think the opinion of the leaders is baked in. I think that um, uh, Mr. O'Toole is going to have a difficult time. I mean, he couldn't convince his own party to adopt some of his views. And so he's going to have a difficult time, I think, changing the perception uh, of, uh, of a weaker leader or leader that may not be ready. Um, uh, to change that, that perception wholesale is going to be difficult for him. But I'll tell you what may change some minds, and that is the stand on issues. And we know that uh, the Conservatives just today, and I think it was good that they did this, they tabled their platform. And really they're running on, I think, four or five bullet points. Uh, one of them uh, having to do with uh, helping businesses and creating jobs Uh, A second, uh, and maybe it's the fifth, uh, having to do with balancing the budget in 10 years. But also they've tabled some legislation, or at least some uh, platform ideas on uh, on daycare. Uh, And they've also announced that they're not going to mandate vaccines for teachers, or sorry, for federal workers and workers within their jurisdiction. And that, I think, is going to be a wedge issue. The other issue, I think, that'll favor the Liberals, who've been very, very liberal, and they've taken their label very seriously in terms of providing funds to help Canadians during COVID, and they said that they're going to do more, they're going to pounce on the fact that the Conservatives want to balance the budget, which I personally think is not a bad thing to do, but it means having to cut some services and make some cuts in a, a number of areas, and I think that'll be exploited by the Liberals and the NDP. The NDP, of course, true to form, they came out right off the gate, and their one-note party, they said, make the rich pay. And, uh, you know, how they define the rich is uh, is perhaps a, a question of uh, of debate, but, uh, but they typically do that. We're going to provide all sorts of money and services, and we're going to take it all from those who uh, have the means to pay for, for these things.
0: Well, and Larry, make
3: themselves in the foot.
0: Make the rich pay is a is a common and familiar and friendly one for a lot of people. And I've discovered that the rich is always one dollar more than I have. That's that's that is who the rich is. I'll, we got to run, but I saw something very interesting this uh, the other day, where Sheila Cops, everyone knows who Sheila Cops is, predicted that Hamilton could go all red this election. This could be a red sweep, and I was thinking, wait a second, I'm not entirely sure Matt Green is going to lose. And I'm still not convinced that Flamborough-Glanbrook, being a very rural area, is not going to be blue. But you know what? We'll we'll see. We will well, see. Things,
3: things have changed are changing uh, they in, have. Uh, in Med- they have they have Glanbrook. Uh, but uh, Matt Green, uh, he's got the name recognition, but he's also controversial. Uh, he's uh, he's meddled in some local issues uh, uh, and taken on some causes that that have upset people. Uh, I read somewhere, and I'm not sure whether this is true, that he was at the Sir John A. toppling uh, the other day. Not sure if that's true, but I saw it on social media, so it's probably not true. But but uh, he's taken some controversial stands and might be vulnerable as a result of that.
0: We will have lots of time to talk about this, and we will for sure. Uh, Larry Deany really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. All the best.
1: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: It is Monday evening. You know what that means? If you're a regular, that means it's time to bring in Don Robertson, who is the guy who runs the Dundas Real McCoys and ComChoice Realty and the 2014, and as we say every week, soon to be again, Dundas Citizen of the Year, if we have anything to say about it, he joins us now. Don, how are you tonight?
4: I'm good, Scott. How are you? <laughs> to interrupt your dinner? <laughs> oh, I having a drink of water before I started. No, dinner was was about eight minutes ago. I got home at quarter and seven and tried to figure out what I was going to have and I walked to the garden and said tomato sandwich. So we're done. There you go. Well, that's
0: very healthy and very fresh. So well done. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this. I don't know if you saw this story from the weekend, but Muhammad Ali's grandson has decided to be a boxer and had his first fight won by TKO. The guy he fought was one step above a tree stump as far as being able to defend himself. The guy was horrible. Nonetheless, Ali, you know, you gotta you gotta make sure that you win if you're Ali's grandson and you're in your first fight. Would you have ever wanted to be would you have ever wanted to be someone whose parent or grandparent or someone you carried the name or the genes of someone who was the best in the world at what they did? Would you because I mean it can open doors, but it can also be a heavy, heavy load to
4: bear. Yeah, both. Right, And the expectations are so great. I think uh, Gretzky's one son went the baseball route. And uh, Wayne, by all accounts, was a pretty good ball player too. But going the hockey route, if you're a hockey player or a boxing, the boxing route if you're a boxer is going to create comparisons which are unfair to, first of all, the kid or grandkid because chances are very few people in the world ever measured up to the greatness of you know, the one you're following, <clears throat> I can give you a real example. Blake Hall played for us uh, for a year uh, when we were the Flamborough-Moscomados. And uh, the next year, Bobby Jr. tried out with the Leafs, and I went down to training camp and said, if it doesn't work out here, i got a great idea. So he came and played senior and uh, wore number 13. We assumed he'd want nine. And it was like, are you kidding me? First of all, my name is Bobby Hull Jr. The last thing I'm going to do is wear nine. Like, who can – you just can't live up to those expectations. No, he didn't quit the sport, but, I mean, he played in Cornwall, won a Memorial Cup, actually, with the Royals, probably on Doug Gilmore's team. But he said it was brutal. Like, Blake said it was a lot easier on him, but still not a lot of fun. So it's it's tough, especially when you're in the same sport. So, anyway. yeah, uh, the, no, but the flip side –
0: the flip side is that Ali's grandson, if he is not Muhammad Ali's grandson, there is not one person in the world who is aware that he had his first fight on the weekend. Like he is fighting in the basement of a YMCA in front of his trainer and the other guy's trainer and that's it. Instead, he's got worldwide coverage. So as I say, the doors can be open, but you're you're absolutely right too. You, once those doors open, you know the spotlight is going to be on you.
4: Well, Ali's daughter uh, boxed for a while, Layla, and uh, yeah, when women's boxing was more in vogue, and probably that's why, right? I mean, uh, when you when you bring a name brand like that in, then there's going to be eyes on it. If the kid can, you know, box a little bit, he he could make some pretty serious coin just by virtue of being Ali's grandson, right? Like he's going he's going to draw crowds, probably get a TV rating. So they're going to have him. Uh, fight a bunch of, um, you know, puff balls, uh, to build up his record. He wouldn't be the first guy that's happened to. And, you know, next thing you know, he's going to be 11 and two and, and, uh, maybe get, you know, a shot that everybody else or not many would get.
0: Yeah. At which point he gets his block knocked off and we all forget about him. But I, your point is, uh, I mean, look, a number of years ago, probably 15 now, Uh, The league that you started, when you started it as the Colonial Hockey League, became the United Hockey League, and I went down to Port Huron, Michigan, because you mentioned Wayne Gretzky. Wayne's brother, Brent, was the last of the hockey playing Gretzky's, and I went down to write about him, and it was entirely unfair, because he looked like Wayne. He skated like Wayne. He played the same position as Wayne. Uh, He even, and I thought this was, I don't know whose idea this one was, but it was a bad one, he even wore number 49, which was as close to half of 99 as you can get on a hockey sweater, which I thought that's a cruel joke that someone was playing on him. Um, but it, it, And he had the Gretzky name on the back of his sweater. And I thought that there is, n- there is no way to win in this case for Brent Gretzky. And he was a good player. He was a good player, but there's no way to win.
4: No. Well, had, as far as the Gretzky on the name of the sweater, it would, it would look pretty silly with Radley on the back of it, but I get your point.
0: He could have put uh, Brent, I guess.
4: Yeah, or put yeah, he could 49 and a half. He uh he won an Allen Cup in Brantford with the Brantford Blast in two thousand and eight. He's a good player. He's just not Wayne. He, he wasn't he wasn't the best player on the ice then. But you're right, he's a good player. But he was he's not Wayne, and that's the problem. And what do you do? Not play? Like that's what Bobby Jr. said. What do I do? Not play? I like playing hockey. I'm I'm not going for the fun of it. I'm not
0: going to drop names, but I I'm not going to drop names, Don. But I grew up next door to an NHL player when I was much younger, very young in Toronto, and one of his sons never played. And the and this was a very very good NHL player. I mean, someone everyone would know. But his son, his oldest son, never played the game because. That reason. You just, every time you would go on the ice, people would be expecting you to be your dad, and you can't. Unless you're the only, there may be one or two. I suppose that Brett Hall arguably was as good as Bobby Hall, although Bobby Hall was much more of a trailblazer. Brett Hall was a great goal scorer. Bobby came in and did and changed the game. So slightly But Brett Hall might be the closest example you'd have to someone who could hold, who could say, I was as good as my all world father.
4: Well, when you're talking about elite, there's been lots of father sons, and if we stick with the hockey theme, uh, like Nick Foligno that played in Toronto, I mean, there's been the Stastny kid, but the difference in, in the analogy I just used, their fathers weren't the premier player in the game, no, and Bobby, Big Bob was, was you know maybe the maybe the best winger to play, and uh, so that's that's pretty steep and Wayne is arguably the greatest player that's ever played. So how do you match up? It's impossible. And I can see, uh, your neighbor's kid who I know who that is, but, uh, saying, you know, this isn't worth it. But generally speaking, you, you don't make that choice at the age of six, which is generally when you'd start playing hockey, right?
0: No, you probably think at that point, this is the coolest thing ever. I can be like my dad.
4: That's what you would think. And, that's likely what Blake and Junior and everybody thought. I, you know, um, um, there wasn't even, they weren't even sure if Brett actually who ended up being the best. Hull of the boys was even going to play. Bart didn't even play. He played football, um, but Brett was, you know, a chubby kid. And got picked up by uh, by Calgary, and you know, I mean, he was he wasn't great until he got to the NHL and then he was a great goal scorer.
0: Bobby did know that the alphabet went past B, right? (laughs) For naming his kids.
4: (laughs) Bobby, Bart, Brett, Blake. Yeah. And, 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 uh, they had a sister and their mother's name was Joanne. And I forget her name, but it started with a J. So it was a pretty simple process.
0: Still though, not as, not as, not as ridiculous as George Foreman naming all six of his kids, George. No, that's true.
4: that's true. George's dinner time. Be quite a that, that might, based on the size of George, that might have been quite a fight
1: at the dinner table.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sure they did okay once they got the grill money all sorted out. They all all every George got a few <laughs> bucks out of that one.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: The Hamilton Tiger Cats, who were chosen by I believe every single prognosticator that I can find to win the East in the CFL have started the year looking, I I couldn't think of a good word, so just a noise. They've looked horrible, honestly. They've looked horrible. And the season is young. There's 12 games left and lots of time, and it's the CFL, and two games doesn't mean anything, but they've lost them both. If you're a coach, and you've been a coach of a lot of teams, if you have a really crappy start to the season, when you're sitting in your coach's room or lying in bed at night, are you really concerned or are you truly in your heart of hearts saying, you know what, it's just a couple of games. It's no big deal. We're going to shake out of this. I know we're good.
4: Uh, it wouldn't bother me. I mean, you you know if you're a good team. Um, and so you've, you, know, you haven't started the way you wanted. You've made some changes that maybe haven't worked out as quickly as you would have liked to have had. You can't use the excuse that, You didn't have an exhibition game because the two guys that beat you didn't either. And uh, the only thing that would, uh, and so the answer question is, no, I wouldn't be worried because if you know you're good enough, you're fine. The only thing you sit around and have a glass of uh, beer after the game and go, this is a bad year to play a short season when you start 0-2. That's when it's, you know, you're kind of going, you know, okay, there was a good chance we were going to lose two in a row at some point this year didn't want it to be the first two and wish we had more games. If it happens again, though, then you start crapping your pants.
0: Well, yeah. And so, I mean, they have a bye week this week and then they have Montreal, which, uh, not much. I don't think a lot was expected of Montreal, but man, they look great on the weekend in their first game of the year. And that's the thing. Now there's no such that I wrote this in today's paper and online the other day, there's no such thing as a must win game in August. But I think they've reached the point where they almost have to at least look really good when they play Montreal, or look way, way better. Or some of those concerns, I think, are going to start to get really widespread. That maybe this team isn't that good.
4: Where's the game in Montreal? So I thought I was. I wanted to be sure. So they're starting three in a row in a row. That's that doesn't that's help. Not exactly ideal. But if you're not going to be very good, you may as well. Not- may as well be not very good on the road. I mean, their offense is sputtered, and it's going to create a conversation. Is Masoli the guy that should be there? Now, you can say, well, he's been off for two and a half years, so he's a little bit rusty. He's been off longer than the rest of the cast of characters in the CFL because he missed basically a season, and then he missed another season. So there is room for rust, but, boy, you know, and when um, Dane was doing so well, and nobody was sure who was going to be number one, and they, you know, obviously go with the theory that you don't lose your starting position because of injury. But his leash won't be particularly long, I wouldn't think. Look at Zach Claris. I mean, he's he's playing like he's Joe Theismann. That's not fair. Joe is seventy-five years old, but you know what I mean. He's he's uh, he left <laughs> yes. he left Hamil he left Hamilton, and he's very effective. Oh, he's. he's He's the way Zach he, was. Caleros, he was a star, star
0: here. Zach Caleros left Hamilton as a broken man. I mean, really physically and probably literally and mentally and everything else. And he has rebounded now and he looks fantastic. And that's not to say the Thai Cats should have kept him because at that time there was no reason to. Like he full credit to Caleros for turning it around. But uh, again, I think, you know what? If you lose to Montreal. The season is still not anywhere close to over. It's not a must win, but if you lose to Montreal and once again, your offense can't get anything going and your offensive line looks overmatched, if you lose three in a row that way, because again, three in a row losing, if you lose it in different ways, you go, all right, well, whatever, we're figuring it out. But if you lose three in a row the same way and you've had a bye week to try and fix these things, that's when I think you look at it and you start to get concerned. I I fully expect they're going to look way better when they play Montreal. But if they don't,
4: my goodness. Plus, hence my term, that's when you crap your pants when it's three in a row. And it's it's not like they they should have won one of the two they lost. They should have won either one of them and didn't. And uh, when you get on a roll of good teams, and I've been fortunate enough to have more than my share of them, you start winning games you shouldn't win. And that's the hallmark of a really good team. You know, we kind of know keep an eye out for the police because we just stole two points out of this building but um they haven't they haven't lost anything they should have won yet like they didn't get anything stolen away from them or a a block pun or a fluke fumble and you know what i mean like they 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 got what they deserved in the first two
0: except and you're right you're you're 100 right the one thing though that it's hard to not remember is that last time they played, obviously last year they didn't play, but the last time they played, they only lost three games in the entire season. And now they're starting 0-2. And theoretically, based, I mean, if Montreal, if that game that Montreal played was true Montreal Alouettes and not a fluke, legitimately, Hamilton could lose as many games in the first three games of the year as they lost all last year. That's going to cause some panic, especially in a Grey Cup year when you're hosting and everybody is expecting you to be in that game Boy, it's um, the the pressure will build. I, as I say, I expect a vastly different-looking team. I don't really know why I do. I just do. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. But, uh, well, boy, the the fifth quarter after the Montreal game, if they don't win or if they look bad again, uh, Rick Zamperin may want to uh, have the sensor button, his finger looming over it, because I have a feeling people may not be happy.
4: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there are expectations and they are better than they played, but I mean, there's a reason that you play the games, right? They're not played on paper.
0: It is, uh, it's an interesting one. It's a, it's a situation. And again, I, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I'm not along with the people saying they've got to win, they have to, this is, no, no, it's not a must-win game, but you got to start showing that you're able to pull out of this funk a little bit. On the other hand, don it is the cfl and you could lose your first six maybe seven and still make the playoffs and roll in and win the great cup so there's time
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml
0: don i don't know if you saw this story on uh from the weekend this is one of those ones that just we've heard about this before but the number just keeps going up and up and up the the one i think it's the only one the mint condition Honus Wagner baseball card that Wayne Gretzky owned at one time with Bruce McNall and has bounced around. Sold on the weekend for $6.6 million. A little, probably two and a half inches by one inch piece of cardboard. $6.6 million, which of course, when this first sold and when Wayne Gretzky first got his hands on it, we first became aware, sent every kid scrambling to their basement to try and find their card collection or adult that their mom had thrown out but do, do you in all your time in sports obviously it's not a honus wagner card you own as far as i know but have you kept anything do you keep any memorabilia that down the road you go you know i think this could be worth something
4: nothing i don't have ticket stubs i don't even have programs from uh you know the brantford smoke or the watts come nothing i just i mean if i do it's in a box it's a fluke so i'm not a collector i i gather memories and when that goes i guess i'm done but i don't uh i did have hockey cards when i was a kid and always got in trouble because my dad said you're gonna ruin the spokes in that bicycle if you don't take those cards off there so (laughs) i'm sure i burned through a few hundred thousand dollars worth of you know bobby and bobby Hull original cards but uh, i don't i don't know do you
0: i have a couple things but it's it's like fluke stuff like complete fluke stuff that, that have landed in my lap over the over the years. My, my dad was very much involved with Big Brothers, uh, the organization, for years and years and years. He was involved with Big Brothers. And in the very first year of the Blue Jays, in about the third week of their first season, they had Big Brothers Day at Exhibition Stadium. It was a doubleheader against the Texas Rangers. I remember Toby Harrow was on that team. I don't know why. Anyway. And Big Brothers was singing the national anthem. And so his little brother, who he looked at, uh, couldn't be there. So I stood in. So we're practicing down the left field line at Exhibition Stadium where the third base line and the outfield, there was an opening for trucks. They used to park trucks. They were practicing there. And a ball in batting practice came flying over. And my dad dove under a transport truck. Thankfully, it was parked. And grabbed this ball and gave it to a PR person for the team. And it got signed by every one of the original Blue Jays. Which is kinda of cool. I have no idea what it's worth. I've never taken it for any kind of testing or anything like that. But you know, you look and you go, okay, that's probably worth a few hundred bucks, but that that's the extent of it. That's the extent of it.
4: Be worth a lot of money to the right guy. Right? I mean what did the, what did Gretzky and McNall? They paid like six hundred grand or something
0: yeah ridiculous, yeah.
4: didn't they, for that card, and now it's selling for six million. I would think that baseball would be worth a lot of cash. Must have
0: other stuff. Uh, There's a few other things, but I, I, you know, I look at this and I think, you know, I I don't remember the story of where the Honus Wagner card was found or who found it or anything like that, but you know that somewhere down the road, we're going to hear a story of somebody finding in their basement, their, their grandfather's collection of cards that he didn't even know he had that was in a cigarette box from 1940 in his basement somewhere when Grandpa dies. You know that we're going to hear a story about some mint-conditioned Bobby Orr card or mint-conditioned Mickey Mantle card or something. like. It's inevitable that some of these are going to be found.
4: Chevy Chase might find one. He's got lots of stuff in his attic. from.
0: That's, that's true. Along with the home
4: movies for Christmas Vacation. Yeah. And it may not even be that's a card. Where, that, but that's where it's going to come from. Cards, are, yeah. Are, I mean, you, you got to find something that you can authenticate, though, right? That somebody can, and I don't know who that is. I mean, some of them almost look like they were paintings rather than pictures, the real old ones, right? Yeah.
0: But I I'm did, wondering what the what the piece of memorabilia would be, because uh, I mean, remember Paul Henderson's sweater from the 1972 series went on auction. I think it sold for a million bucks, and I was thinking I would have expected more than a million, but okay, a million a million is still a lot of money. Um, you know, we, we have the famous story in, in Hamilton here of, of the search for the Hamilton Tigers sweater that has never been found. It's the only, apparently the only professional team that we don't know where there's a sweater in existence. And although they did find it, we think, and then it got lost again. So who knows what's, uh, what's going on with that. But I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to imagine what would be the thing. That would move the, you know, who was the, it was the most unlucky it was remember the guy who McFarlane, he owned, he owned collectors and he bought the uh, Mark McGuire home run ball when he beat, when he passed Roger Maris and he spent, I don't know, 3 million bucks on it or something saying, this'll be lasting for all time. And then five years later, Barry Bonds passed it and the ball, the ball was basically useless. So like, all right, well, say Levy, I guess. <laughs>
4: Well, yeah. There's 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 probably more equally tragic bad investments in cards than there are yes. Onus Wagner's. Like there's there's lots of things that you know you pay too much for them. They don't work out. The Toronto Maple Leafs did that with defensemen for years. Why don't we pay a <laughs> lot of money for this guy and he'll be really good?
0: Yes, yes. If we pay him a lot, it's going to make him better. That's right. All right. So if we l- pay forgetting him as much what's as the
4: Chris Pronger. And
0: he must be as good as Chris Pronger. There you go. So leaving aside then, what's the most valuable? Let's just let your imagination run wild for a second here. What would be anything? The thing, the piece of sports memorabilia, price is no object. If you were offered that you could take any bit of sports memorabilia from any any moment, is there something that you can think of that you would say, yes, I would like to have that on my mantle? That's the thing that I think would be the most meaningful to me.
4: Does that be real or make believe?
0: Well, you can, be what's the make believe one?
4: My NHL rookie card.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that would do it. That would do it. <laughs> no, a real thing from know. a real.
4: I. I don't know. Maybe I mean I'm a big Bobby Hall fan because he was so good to us uh, when his boys played and you know came to so many games and. Made so many people happy. I think maybe, you know, the stick he scored his most goals with or something like that would have not, not just famous meaning, but personal meaning to me. Um, I know that's not real sexy. And No. Who was yeah, your favorite player? Who was your
0: hero? Who was your sports hero as a kid?
4: Probably Bobby Orr. I mean, I tape my stick like him, you know, one and a half pieces of black tape ringed around and that's probably who I wanted to be the most like when they put me back on defense and ended up being a center so it was short-lived but I I think he was probably one of my favorites all time would have been Bobby Orr and I've had the opportunity to golf with him Um, and that was that was you know I I haven't met as many famous athletes as you but I've certainly met my share of them. Ken Hobart lived with me for a couple of years when he was quarterback of the Thai Cats. So I'm not really a star-struck kind of a guy, but playing golf with Bobby Orr and just, I mean, uh, golf with Jimmy Ralph a couple of weeks ago and some of the stories of the quiet greatness that Bobby Orr is will bring a tear to your eye. He's just a wonderful, wonderful guy. I We were playing at Double's Pulpit uh, with uh, Keith McCreary and Don on who have both left, this McCreary was an NHL player, and uh, offered to buy him a beer. And this is whew, 30 years ago. And he looked at me, he said, get two for yourself and keep drinking as long as you can. And he says, maybe you'll catch up because I don't drink now. So that told me he probably had a few pops during his day, but uh, I've never known him to take a drink. But, um, you know, so obviously he was great at everything he did. Um, So you know, I guess it would be Bobby Orr.
0: No, no, that's the, a good one. That, I, that's a
4: the guy. The guy I wish I wished I could have been like as an athlete was Eddie Feiner. But that, wow, that's uh, really well. I, I mean, the I'm King in his court. Yeah, right. Yep, yeah, No, that's he, uh, he, he was great. I mean, I I mean, I, I remember reading a lot about him. The King in his court was four man baseball team and uh, they were all drinking after a game one night and he was bragging and he said i'll tell you what guys the catcher and i'll take you guys on and they laughed at him and they played and uh, when the game started they walked the first two walked him and the catcher so he's out of players and that's how we ended up a four so, <laughs> so if the bases were loaded they still had somebody to go to bat and that's how they figured they'd beat him but that's how good he was and uh i uh, we put on a show and watered the Linda merchants that I helped run. And, uh, he was, he was an amazing guy and, and very humble. And but boy, he was, a he was probably the best fastball pitcher to ever hit the planet. And, you know, if you're not a fastball fan, it wouldn't mean anything to you, but it meant a lot to me.
0: Yeah, he was that. That's that's a niche one, but but for sure, if you're into that, that was uh, people. If you don't know who Eddie Feyner was, look it up. Um, the King and His Court. After we're done tonight, it's uh, it's worth a, a look.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: I, I don't. I th- these are numbers that are just stupid. In his career, Eddie Feyner won nine thousand seven hundred and forty three games. Had hundred and forty-one thousand five hundred and seventeen strikeouts, nine hundred and thirty no hitters, and two hundred and thirty-eight perfect games.
4: It's pretty good. He wasn't bad. No, and he didn't. They didn't play the Washington Generals either. I mean, they would play senior fastball teams. And when they were in Waterdown, and we did it, they played the Waterdown Lanes, who played in the Big Four. So, you know, he had. Uh, he didn't cherry pick. I guess he went where they paid him. He was always at the C and E. Always at the You know, I, I love you playing the Elvis stuff. I remember where exactly where I was when I heard on the radio he died. I was right beside my parents' old store in Linden, and I kind of laughed when you were describing how he died. I guess that was the way the king was dethroned. But um, <laughs> sorry, we're not laughing lot. at Elvis,
0: or well, kind of, <laughs> um, but not the fact that he's dying. But yes, yeah, so a, a very inauspicious way for the king of rock and roll to end his his time on <laughs> this earth. Um, yeah, although, you know, Don, there are so many, and we're getting into something entirely off track here, so many of the greatest musicians of all time die in the most disgusting and unfortunate circumstances, choking on their own vomit, having drug overdoses, having this or that. I mean, th- there aren't too many glamorous drug deaths, or dr- uh, rock star deaths. There just aren't.
4: No, well, especially uh, so many of them died at 27, Joplin, yes. Hendricks, and there was a slew of them, and it's, it was a lifestyle back then. You don't seem to see as much of it now. Um, Keith Richards, by all accounts, has died 33 times, but he's still playing. There's, uh, Keith there's no Richards is like a thing.
0: Twinkie. Keith Richards is the human Twinkie. He has an indefinite shelf life. <laughs> he is going to outlive everybody. If a nuclear bomb fell, the only living things that would remain are Keith Richards and cockroaches. That would be it. The rest of civilization would be wiped out.
4: I saw a great uh, uh, picture on Facebook last week and it was Keith Richards with a guitar in his hand with a little kid standing there. And the caption was, Keith Richards showing Willie Nelson how to play guitar. <laughs>
0: Yeah. There you go. Let's see. That's, that's bang on. Don Robertson, as always, thank you for taking time to do this on a Monday night. We always appreciate you coming on. Thanks for this.
4: Thanks, Scott. This was a fun one. Thanks a lot. Have a good week.
0: This was a fun one. I don't know what that means about all the other ones, but that's okay. We'll we'll strive for another fun one next Monday when Don is back.
1: The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.